Now, in the 19th chapter, again, they are told to establish the cities of refuge, three of them when they come into the land. Three had already been established on the other side of the Jordan. But when you come into the land, God will appoint three cities as cities of refuge. Again, the idea being that if you killed someone accidentally, if you and your friend were out chopping wood and your axe head should fly off the handle and hit him in the head and kill him, and the avenger of blood would be angry because you killed his brother and he's chasing after you, you could flee to the city of refuge. And there you could be saved from the avenger of blood. He couldn't come into the city to take you or to kill you. However, the cities of refuge were never to be a refuge from those who were guilty, for those who were guilty of first-degree murder. Now, again in verse 9, God just gives chapter 19 some commandments. If you shall keep all these commandments to do them, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to walk ever in his ways, then you shall add three cities more for you, besides these three cities, verse 9. In in other words, three more cities when you get into the land. Now, the commandment is to love the Lord and to walk ever in his ways. They were not to touch the landmark of their neighbors. Now, in those days, they would set up little piles of stones, and these stones would be landmarks. And when you go through the land of Israel today, you can still see out in the fields these little piles of stones, which are landmarks, which they have set up. In the Arab territory, in the Jewish territory, they don't practice this. But in the Arab territory in the land of Israel, there on the West Bank, you'll see all these little piles of stones out in the fields, which are landmarks. Now, you're not to go out at night and move those stones over 10 feet or so. You're not to remove your neighbor's landmark. That was a crime that was looked upon with great disfavor. Now, if a man would rise up and bear false witness against his neighbor, and he was proved that he had perjured himself in his false witness, his sentence would be whatever kind of crime he is trying to get pinned on his neighbor. In other words, if you got up and lied and said, well, I saw this man steal that cow, and it was proved that you were lying, you didn't see him, you were just trying to get him in trouble, then you would get the sentence of a cow thief. Whatever sentence would have been meted out against this guy, whom you were trying to incriminate, that sentence would be yours. And if you were trying to incriminate him in a capital offense, then you would be put to death. So whatever you are seeking to have done to him shall be put onto you. And thus God wanted them to have a healthy fear of lying as a witness, the perjury. (laughs) Oh, how our justice system has changed. Chapter 20. Now, when they went to war, chapter 20, against your enemies, and you see the horses and chariots, don't be afraid, for the Lord is with you, who brought you out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. Now, there was among these people, they were, remember now, just slaves, and they did have fears, fears of battle, 
they weren't trained fighting men. And in those days, the children of Israel did not have any horses for battle. Neither did they have chariots. And having a chariot was like having a tank against the infantry in modern warfare. And thus when they'd see these chariots and these horses and prancing horses and all pulling these chariots towards them, it would strike fear into their hearts. Now the Lord said, don't be afraid when you see those because I'm going to be with you. And David said in Psalm 23, 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, the consciousness of the presence of God is one of the most fear-dispensing things in the world. It's so glorious to realize God is with me when they are when there are frightening situations that I'm facing. Now, I often sometimes forget that God is with me, and that's when I really get scared. But it's always a comfort when you're faced with some difficult situation to remember, oh, well, God is with us because if God be for us, who can be against? Now, they're to go out to the men as they're getting ready to fight, and you are to say unto the troops, don't let your hearts faint, don't fear, don't tremble, don't be terrified, for the Lord your God is going before you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And the officers are to speak to the people and say, if any man built a house, a new house yet, and hasn't had a chance to live in it, then that guy can go home. Verses three through five. He wouldn't have to fight because if he were killed in battle, then it would mean he built a house and someone else lived in it and he never got the chance to. So he was to be excused from battle. How many of you have planted vineyards and you haven't pick the grapes yet, you can all go home. Verse 6, because it wouldn't be fair for you to do all the work of planting a vineyard and perhaps be killed in battle and never be able to eat of your vineyard. So those that had built new houses and new vineyards got to go home. How many of you have been engaged to a wife, betrothed, and you haven't yet fulfilled that time of betrothal and the marriage, and it hasn't taken place yet. Verse 7. Those who were engaged to be married were dismissed from battle and were able to go home. And finally, how many of you are afraid to fight? You can go home too. Verse 8. So by the time you were left with your army, you had a pretty good group of really fighting men. You know, they weren't afraid and they were ready to go. And they didn't have any... Well, you know, they didn't have any distractions like some girlfriend that they were engaged to and looking forward to the wedding and these kinds of things. The guys that remained to fight were those that were really ready to go. Now, the idea, and I think it was a good idea, of sending home those that were fearful as that in the midst of the battle because they're afraid because they might panic and start to run. And that's the kind of thing that's infecting it has an infecting effect upon the other troops. And so those that were fearful were sent home. They didn't want those guys there. They were apt to panic in the midst of the battle. And so create a panic among the troops. 
So it was a very wise kind of move indeed. It left you with just really quality fighting men. Now, when you come to a city to take it, first of all, proclaim peace upon the city. And if they open their gates and surrender, then fine, take over the city. But if they fight against you, then go in, kill all the men, and leave all the women and children alive. And then you can use the women and children as servants. And this cattle and the spoil you may take for your own to eat of it. And so you shall do to all the cities that are afar off. But those cities that are in the land where the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites are dwelling, then these nations you are to utterly destroy. Verses 15 through 17. Now, to make any peace treaties, you're to wipe out these people completely. That they teach you not to do after their abominations, which they have done unto their gods. So should you sin against Jehovah your God when you shall besiege a city a long time and making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy the trees of it. Verses 18 and 19. Now, the purpose of the total eradication of these nations was because of the horrible, lascivious practices that were going on in these nations, lest they would pollute the nation of Israel. The people did not obey the Lord in this, they did save some of the cities and thus became polluted and ultimately were driven out of the land themselves because of the pollutions that they practiced after the manner of the nations that they were to have destroyed. Now again, we must see it from God's standpoint to understand because people always have difficulty when God has ordered the total eradication of a city, of a people. People have a difficult understanding of God's command of total eradication and wiping everything out and everybody. And the reason why God commanded this is the vile, horrible practices of these people. It would not be proper in mixed company to tell of some of the normal practices of these people, especially in their worship. They were beyond help. They were so vile so low, there was no recovery. By their very practices, they would be in time eradicating themselves by the incestuous practices, by the bestiality, and all of these things that they were practicing every day. They would have soon just become a group of idiotic kinds of people and would have destroyed themselves. So God ordered their destruction, lest by their being alive, they would pollute his people and bring these polluting, destructive practices among his own people. It would be much like you being a guard at a school watching over the kindergartners and seeing them out there on the playground and observing this little dog running up the street with foam coming out of his mouth, yipping and nipping at everything. And you immediately recognize the symptoms of this dog and its actions. You know that it has hydrophobia or rabies. Now, would you be justified in killing that little rabid dog before it could get on the school grounds? Or should you just sit there and say, oh, look at that dog. I, I think it has rabies. Look at it. It's biting all the children. 
My, that isn't nice. Little dogs shouldn't bite children like that. Man, I'd fire you so fast. The dog is rabid. It's going to die. It can't live if it has rabies. It's doomed to die. But if you don't protect those children, many of those innocent little children will also die because they'll be infected by that rabid dog. Therefore, you should be totally justified, and you would be totally justified, in killing that rabid dog. In fact, you would be at fault if you didn't kill that rabid dog. You would be responsible if you allowed that dog to bite the children. You would be responsible for the children's death. Therefore, the, for the sake of the innocent children, your obligation is to kill that rabid dog, lest it infect the children. Now, these people were like rabid dogs in their practices, and they were completely self-destructive. They were destroying themselves and would have destroyed themselves. Yet the practices, because of their nature, were infectious, and there was a danger if God's people would come in and see these vile, abominable practices, that they too might enter into some of these practices, and so become infected with this deadly sin by which God would have to then judge and eradicate his own children. So God was seeking to protect his innocent children from these destructive practices, and so he ordered their eradication. Where the nations weren't involved so deeply, God didn't order that kind of eradication. It was only among those people where these vile and horrible practices were going on. Thus, God was protecting his innocent children, trying to keep them from being infected by these deadly practices of the nation that inhabited this land. So God tells them when they are besieging a city, they are not to cut down any fruit trees to use as a bulwark against the city. Just cut down the trees that don't bear fruit to use, you know, to build your bulwarks and so forth. Cut down the eucalyptus and the oak, like like that, those types of trees, but don't cut down the olive trees or the apricot trees or those that bear fruit because they will be food for you in time to come. So we'll continue in the book of Deuteronomy. Let's bow our heads. Father, let our hearts be full in your presence. Keep us in your grace, and Father, allow your mercy to fall on us. Build us up in your word, O oh God, and may our lives be salt and light in this dark and wicked and fallen world. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your faithfulness that you show toward us. And we thank you for the sacrifice of a perfect God coming to this world draped in human skin to sacrifice your life one time for our sins to wash us clean of our iniquity to be with you forever in heaven if we believe in your son Jesus Lord we believe in the great name of Jesus we pray Amen